The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. And um, we're going to spend our whole hour talking about ways that a community can kind of take back um, what's going on within their area when it comes to addiction treatment and um, good practices of addiction treatment and some uh, unethical and criminal practices of addiction treatment. And for those of you who are listening who are familiar with um, the addiction profession and treatment, um, for a number of years, Delray Beach in Florida has been the epicenter of a lot of unethical uh, practices around sober housing, around um, fraudulent um, billing for uh, urine collections and a host of other nefarious activities. And um, I was lucky enough last month to go to the Delray Beach uh, Drug Task Force and was really impressed with what this uh, task force is doing to, to reclaim their city, to help people in recovery and people who are in the throes of their, their addiction not uh, fall prey to some of these uh, criminals that are trying to exploit them. And so um, I'm very pleased today to have with us two members of the uh, Delray Beach Drug Task Force, Michael Hendren, who is the Executive Director, and Jeffrey Messer, who is a background investigator for the Seacoast Training Center um, in Delray Beach. So welcome, Jeff and Mike. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Hi, how are you? Hi, thank you. So um, I guess, Mike, could you give us a little background on the Delray uh, Beach Drug Task Force and what's its mission and how long has it been around? Absolutely. So the task force itself has actually been around for quite some time. Its inception was well over 15 years ago and started out with just a small group of people meeting together with the idea or the mission to uh, provide education and leadership in the community as it relates to addiction. Our numbers really took off in the last five years as we've now grown to well over 60 members in large thanks to the former director, Suzanne Spencer, and her vision for both from the initiatives that she began, but also really taking the time to seek out individuals that were agents of change in our community and bring them around the table and allow us to have consolidated conversation about addressing the issues in our community. So, um, Jeff, how did you get involved with the drug task force? Well, I started uh, many years ago when it was they first met in Delray. I, didn't, I wasn't with them then, but I was aware of them and had several friends on the uh, on one of the original task force boards. Um, I kind of drifted away from them for a little bit and joined back in in 2013, 2012, 13 with Suzanne Spencer and um, and an assignment I had at the Delray Police Department. I retired from the Delray Police Department in 2015. 
And when I retired from them, I just stuck with it. I, I, from the time I met and, and got back in the group in the end of 2012 until the time I retired in 2015, I stayed with the group and then asked if I could uh, stay on after my retirement. And Suzanne and Mike have been gracious enough to keep me on, which I, uh, I really appreciate. So, Jeff, could you give our listeners a little bit of the background of um, some of the uh, activity, some of the criminal activity that's occurred in Delray Beach and, and where you've come from since then? Yeah, we're no different than any other city in the nation, unfortunately. Um, I don't know how we became the, like your words are exactly right, the epicenter, the, the, the recovery capital. Um, I, obviously, they saw a need for it, but we've had, we've had the same drug trend issues um, over the decades. You know, it was, it, for a long time it was marijuana, then it became powder cocaine, and we had our crack cocaine, and we graduated to the pills here a few years ago, and once we got a handle on that, the heroin came roaring back, or the, op- the opiate-based addiction came roaring back, and we, we again, we're a town of 60-plus thousand. Um, we're no different than any other big city where we're a microcosm of our society, and, and, and it's not unfortunate. It's just unfortunate that the bad rap of recovery is labeled on Delray when there's just a, a mountain of good work that's being done in keeping people, getting people healthy and keeping them healthy, but... As, as in everything, the, the bad stands out and the bad makes the, that's it, sexy for the news when in fact there's plenty of good going on too. Well, I know like 15 years ago, um, Del Rey was uh, one of the uh, towns in Florida that had the most people in recovery living there and it was kind of seen as a safe place for people in recovery to, to go and there were a lot of um, self-help meetings or mutual help meetings. There were a lot of resources for folks in recovery and um, that shifted. Some of those, um, there, there began to have more criminal activity um, as a result of bad business practices. And Yeah, um, again, I don't know, I don't know if I want to put it all, you know, that it's, all bad down here because it really isn't there. But there, we do have our share of, of unsavory and, and, and bad actors, um, you know, running some of these these programs. And the irony of of many of these people is that they were the same ones pushing the opiate based pain medications back in 2010, 11, and 12 until we got our handle on the, the pill mills and the drug database. They went and did their prison time, and now they come back and now they're running the the opposite end of it, claiming to try and get people sober, but they're running like you you mentioned earlier the you know the urinalysis scams and and it doesn't matter to many of these people that, that many of the unsavory people whether the people their their clients are getting sober or not they just want to keep getting paid for testing them and housing them and so on it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of crazy insurance billing and, and all of that going on. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to imply that you're the only one. I just think that because. Historically, you've had so many people in recovery. You've got a bigger number of people than other. We um, we, we have a community full of recovery, but you know, like, again, like as does everybody. Maybe we have more in Delray, and I don't really know. Again, don't know how we became the the recovery capital. But what what is missed in that is the the economic benefit to the city of Delray from from people in the workforce to even just the people living and working and eating and sleeping and and doing their shopping there it, it, there's <laughs> there's plenty of plenty more people in town that you, that need to be uh need to be as I guess for the sake of the city serviced you know you, you have to you provide city services to them and in turn they they provide financial resources to a city that I think that that gets overlooked from time to time yeah 
no, I'm not. And I would add, I would add in part two, just with regards to the, the history. So for a long time, treatment was through the public sector and offered through the public and was regulated um, around rules and regulations that specifically addressed that group of people. And then with the privatization of treatment, we had a lot more private providers, but our regulations and our ability to monitor, uh, have staff that was properly in place by the state to to monitor individuals as they grew businesses really lacked. And so we had a lot of gray area, which then has fostered both, you know, locally here in Florida, but now also nationally, uh, the people to operate in a way that's not always ethical and sometimes even illegal. Right. And in New Hampshire, it's a similar um, experience. There's very few regulations around sober housing. By contrast, Massachusetts is very highly regulated and has been for 20 years or 30 years in terms of sober housing. So it really varies from state to state. And we're getting there. Um, There's a a group called the uh, Florida Association of Recovery Residences, FAR, and they finally got legislation through uh, in the state of Florida last year. Was it? And Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was just last year, wasn't it? And I think it was. Um, it's voluntary at this point. But in order now, suppose I'm in Mary. Suppose I'm in your recovery house as a as a client, and I I fail out, I, I relapse or whatever. You can't refer me to someone else unless you are a FAR certified resident, and the person you're referring me to is a FAR certified resident. Uh, our residents that way it that takes a little bit of this brokering of patients from house to house out of play um is that that sounds about right doesn't it mike as far as the rec- the voluntary end of it yes it and then what what will happen now is we're we're hoping in the next few years it becomes a mandatory uh program mary so that that anybody who's going to run a recovery residence will will have to go through the process of becoming certified it's it's uh supervised in and serviced by uh, the Florida um, Department of Children and Families, although they're they're stretched as thin as any any government agency can ever be. But they'll be the ones to kind of monitor and, and police that, and make sure that everybody's up to snuff. So they'll kind of take away a bit of the the bad element passing passing poor patients around that need to be treated that really aren't getting tr- the proper treatment. And it's my understanding that FAR is the Florida affiliate for the National Association of Recovery Residences. So you're complying with national standards that are um, being enacted in, in other states as well. That's correct. And a couple of guys on our group uh, in, in our Delray Drug Task Force were instrumental in getting that FAR legislation pushed through. They worked hard, traveled. It's 450 miles to our state capital from where we are, and they, they got up there a couple times and got before the legislature and got before different legislators and really worked hard to get this through. It took a lot of effort. Could you explain to our listeners what patient brokering is? Well, it's it's... It, it's it's criminal in the state of Florida. It's criminal in a, a lot of different areas. And what we're what we're running into is, I would again, you say you ran a house. Um, I was your client, and I failed out for whatever reason, whether I relapsed or just wasn't getting with the program. Um, you would then refer me to another house, usually a friend of yours. Um, everybody's billing insurance crazy amounts for housing, for for food, for the the urinalysis tests. And let's say Mike on the other end of the phone here had one of the other houses. You refer me to Mike. Mike would certainly take me in and then give you a little kickback of, of for for the referral. And after a little, and and you would still be able to do these drug tests. 
um, after a while, I would fail out of Mike's place, and I would go to another person, and there would be a little network of four or five houses. I may end up back in your house one day, and everybody who, everybody who gets referred gets a referral fee. Um, then we have people out on the street that are, they call them recruiters, they call them marketers, they, whatever you want to call them, that are actually getting paid to bring people into um, recovery programs. And if, if you're the person you bring in stays in the program for a week or two weeks, you start getting a, a cut of, of what's being billed to the insurance. People get, if I, again, if I were in your program and you sent me to Mike's, but then Mike was sending me back to your program to get my urinalysis done, Everybody would get a piece of the billing on the year analysis, and it, it got it has gotten to the point where it is not. And these aren't the, the majority of the houses, but the minority of the houses. But it got to where it didn't matter about recovery at all. It was not about the person getting better. It was about how much is going to be billed. And the the billing down here is it just in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and we'll be right back after keeping this commercial addicted. break um, to talk more about patient brokering and, and other things that are going on. And we'll be right back. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are your eating habits out of control? Does food have power over you? Have you been diagnosed with an eating disorder or feel that you might have one? Before you follow advice or suggestions from uninformed sources, listen to Chasing Hunger every Tuesday with host Kathy Welter-Nichols, who will dispel the myths, reveal the secrets, share good practice, and open the gateway through awareness and deeper understanding. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being. And learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
Welcome back, everyone. And today we're talking um, with Mike Hendon, who is the executive director of the Delray Beach uh, Drug Force um, Task Force, and with uh, Jeffrey Messer, who is a retired Delray Beach police officer and is currently a background investigator for Seacrest Training Center. And before we went to break, we were talking about one of the challenges that they've experienced in um, Delray Beach. And, and to Jeff's point, this isn't the only place in America that is experiencing this. Um, it's just the place that I think has had the most publicity around it. Certainly there are issues in Arizona. There are issues in California. Um, I'm of the understanding there may soon be issues in, in New Hampshire with this as well. So um, we're just trying to raise consciousness with folks and to let you know that um, there are ways that you can kind of take back your city for, from some of these nefarious uh, people that are out there trying to um, victimize the, the, the sick and suffering folks who have alcoholism and, and drug addiction. So, um, Mike, could you kind of maybe summarize some of the challenges that, that the city has experienced? In the, and I know you've got a lot of initiatives working in the city to overcome some of them, but what have been, the besides brokering, what have been some of the other challenges? Some of the other challenges have been both having a surplus of people that would fall under kind of a, a homeless status where they had either been kicked out of treatment, potentially had insurance that had lapsed or had not been renewed, uh, or for a program that might have started up and then shut down and people found themselves on the street. Uh, so we had that going on in our city. We had the issue that was going on with regards to our first responders and our police department with a surplus of people that were overdosing and we were having Narcan and the hospitals were being overrun with the amount of people that were coming through. And there was really nothing in place also to kind of help address that piece. And then, you know, as, as Jeff had mentioned earlier, Delray has been considered by many as one of the largest recovery, you know, capitals uh, in the world. And we had a real opportunity, one that hadn't really been capitalized on with regards to finding ways in which to bridge the gap between uh, you know, businesses in our community and individuals who had come out of treatment or out of their sober homes and were looking to come back into society and be a part of, you know, a contributing member of society. So um, what have been some of the things that you all have done? I know um, you, there's Project Trailblazer, which was created to help bridge the gap between employers and individuals coming out of treatment. So can you talk a little bit about that project? Sure. So Project Trailblazer was started with the idea of bridging the gap between people that would potentially be employers for people coming or new into recovery and allowing for or developing a, a means which to or platform, if you will, to have discussions both for the employer and for the individual as it relates to now finding themselves in recovery. So some of what that might look like would be allowing the employer to understand better gaps that sometimes will start to show up on somebody's resume and a way in which the individual can account for those or be able to talk about why that's happened or why those are there without feeling like that's going to be held against them. Uh, other things that have come up, too, have been allowing for the, the uh, business to, you know, ask questions around or, or how can we support. So if there are certain meetings or if an individual finds themselves 
discount outpatient level of care or continuing to meet with a therapist at a certain time that the business can work with the individual to allow them to continue aspects of their treatment while also being able to work. And it also really allowed for people to go back towards, you know, potentially being in a career. So it wasn't necessarily just a job where you were coming out and you were getting a job at a an ice cream parlor, but rather people that were professionals that were looking to get back into management roles and leadership roles and allowing for that to also take place. So we've got a couple of businesses already now that are working with us and have been part of what's more or less been a beta project that's continuing to evolve as we look to hopefully at some point manualize kind of some of what we've done, the trial and error pieces, and allow that to then be shared to other communities. Um, you mentioned the first responders. I know in New Hampshire, um, opiate addiction is like an, it's an epidemic and that our first responders um, are coming across um, you know, situations that are heartbreaking and also to some degree or another somewhat traumatizing for the people that are, that are coming upon them. And how are you helping the first responders in Delray Beach? Um, I'm assuming you have the same opiate crisis we do. Yes, great question. Uh, you know, our police department is responding to anywhere between five and ten overdoses a day, which is really high in comparison to most communities. So they're being asked uh, a lot, and even just the amount of burden financially for supplying Narcan to our departments uh, is really high. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head with regards to also the effects that it's also having on these individuals as they are having to respond to some pretty traumatic events, uh, be it from an overdose, the criminal activity, or, or accidents as it relates to people using substances. And on, you know, again, with the idea that we were allowed to be around a table and to hear, people got to really hear firsthand what was happening, how then the, the treatment uh, community could help support. And so one of the things we did initially was a pilot program as we brought in a therapist into the police department allowed them to work uh, with some trainings with some of the officers around grounding techniques to allow them to have the opportunity to figure out how to separate some of what they were experiencing at work and not necessarily taking it home because we definitely are seeing some symptoms of PTSD, especially with our uh, younger crews, and that's something that we're continuing to work on this year. You know, Mary, you got guys that are on the department. Uh, more than half our department has less than five years' experience. And you've got guys in these five years that are dealing with and sometimes two and three overdose calls per shift on a, on a crazy day that, that they'll run to and the same officer will run to. And you walk in and the person is either deceased or very close to, and you hit them with this magic Narcan spray and they come back to life. But you, you, time and time again, and they're, they're seeing this, and it just, after a while, they, they don't even realize it's starting to weigh on them. It starts to weigh on them. This Getting, being able to, to provide this training that we just were able to do a couple months ago was just, we think, was a huge step forward in advance of any of these guys starting to develop the, the, the PTSD or any of the other negative uh, side effects that come from seeing, seeing and dealing with this type of uh, incident all the time. So how do you prepare um, first responders for this? I mean, these are relatively people new in their career. I, I would imagine it must be pretty overwhelming. 
Yeah, it can be, and that's why we have we got we were very lucky. Our, well, first off, the training department in, in our our police department is, is the training division is, is really strong, and they they work these guys all the time on new techniques and 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 how to get in and get this done. We work hand in hand with our our local fire rescue at Delray Beach, who, and everybody really there's a terrific relationship between both departments. Um, but it this training was was really a good first step for something other than a police officer or a police trainer training other police officers. This was, uh, uh, I believe it was the director of trauma from out at the medical center or someone of that of that stature that came in and provided this training and volunteered to do it, recognizing that there there could be there could be this issue coming. It's, it's another thing that's on the tracks that could be coming. Young firefighters, young police officers dealing with with. Uh, more deaths than a bunch of us old guys had ever dealt with in our entire career. They've dealt with more in, in three, four, five years than the rest of us did in 20- and 30-year careers. So wow. kind of getting ahead of it and, and hopefully keeping these guys from, from becoming uh, hooked into a, a bad cycle, a negative cycle. Right, right. So how do you help the people that um, are suffering from the substance use disorders see the police or the firemen as as an ally as opposed to somebody they may have to run from because there may be a warrant out for them or, you know, um, if somebody's in need of Narcan or they're at a party and they see somebody that is overdosing, is there anything you're doing to help bridge that gap there between the people that need the Narcan and the, and the folks that have it? Fortunately, Florida has a good Samaritan law. Um, I don't think a lot of our people who are in recovery uh, are aware of that. Many of the people in recovery come from out of state. But Florida has a good Samaritan law that allows law enforcement to not arrest someone who is overdosed and to not arrest the person who called in uh, to report this and, and try and get the person medical attention, you know, by dialing 911 or whatever else, whatever other form they use. Um, we go to, we being myself and, and another person, go into the recovery residences. Um, we go to the family meetings, the house meetings, and explain our role there, our position there, and say, look, here's here's what we're doing. We don't. We don't want you to roll your friend over and put him on his side and put a nice wet towel on their head and hope they'll be all right in four or five hours. You need to call us and let us give them their Narcan and get them off to a medical facility. Um, and we explain to them the Good Samaritan Law and that they will not be arrested. We encourage them to not clean up the crime scene. They're only protecting the, the person who sold the, the, the illegal narcotics at that point. Um, and it's been, we've probably, we've probably reached between 400, maybe 450 people in the past year or so. Uh, where we are able to go into these homes and explain this. It's kind of enlightening to them. They don't always know that this law exists, and when you tell them you're not going to get arrested, save your friend's life, um, the, you, you kind of, it, it helps. You know, it, help, it sets a little light off in your head that, that there's a chance that we can, we can do that. Um, that's very good to know for everybody in Florida. There's a good Samaritan law. We'll be right back after this commercial. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. your health where you think it should be if you're like most people the answer is probably not where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track the answers start on occupy health each week host dr susan downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider you'll want to plan for your optimal health with occupy health listen fridays at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Um, today we're talking with Mike Hendren, who is the Executive Director of the Delray Beach Drug Task Force, and Jeffrey Messer, who is the Background uh, Investigator for Seacrest Training Center and a member of the Delray Beach Drug Task Force. And um, Delray is a community that is certainly, in many ways, um, setting uh, a blueprint for other communities that want to really work to, to provide safe and ethical treatment for um, people that are suffering from substance use disorders. And uh, in addition to this task force, there's also a sober homes task force that Jeff had alluded to earlier. And is that just in Delray, or is that like a statewide initiative? It's a Palm Beach County initiative, um, but we are they're currently funded uh, by this by the state legislature, and I think they're realizing that Palm Beach County is kind of the hotbed for South Florida right now on on uh, some of the shady characters. So it's a, it's a Palm Beach County initiative funded by the state of Florida. And, and what did they actually do, Jeff? What is their they're, role? They're investigating and actually they're locking up. They've locked up over 20 people um, since, they, since their inception in June of last year and shut down several of the uh, illicit and the illegally, or I should say illegally, but the illicit and the, the shadier um, sober home operators and treatment facilities. And they have an 800 number, right, that if anyone is aware of any type of unethical practices or shady dealings, that they can call this number? Correct. And that number is uh, 844-324-5463. That's 844-324-5463. That goes to the Palm Beach County Sober Home Task Force, and if someone's calling from out of the Palm Beach County area, but in Florida, they're certainly welcome to call, and we can, um, we'll, they'll be able to forward it to the proper uh, jurisdiction. And is that task force um, law enforcement and um, like the county attorney, or 
the, the Palm Beach County State Attorney is, is uh, the one who actually houses it. One of the chief assistant state attorneys, Al Johnson, is the one who's heading, heading it up, along with uh, State Attorney Justin Chapman. And then they've got law enforcement officers. It's a task force of, of officers plugged in from uh, several different departments in Palm Beach County. Okay. And, and for the Delray um, Drug Task Force, uh, one of the things that I was very impressed with was the, the variety of people um, from all walks of life that are on your task force. And, and Mike, could you speak a little bit to the, to the variety and what, what you all learned from all this? Sure. So one of the great things that has come with regards to some of the issues that we've seen from substance use disorders in our community was the willingness for uh, people from all different walks of life to be willing to and want to sit around and work together as a team. So that team has, in, in right now is and will continue to be grown, but you know we have the police department, the fire department, um, people from the chamber, we have attorneys, we have pastors, we have sober home operators, we have people from the sober uh, home task force, individuals that represent FAR, treatment providers, uh, city commissioner, business owners, uh, and many more that have different initiatives that have also been started already uh, in Delray, all would begin the idea of saying, you know, what can we do and how does it work if we pool our resources together versus working separately as silos? And the great thing has been is, is that it both created an energy uh, around what we were doing, and it also really, you know, grew quickly with regards to both what we could do once we had access to all these different resources, and once we really felt like we were to have, a, have an honest conversation about what was actually happening and how we could actually support, and allowed us to move away from a, a table of people that gathered every month just to talk or to even argue, but rather say let's let's collaborate and then let's take action, and that would be probably what I would highlight most about and what I've loved most about our task force is that it's gone well beyond just the room of discussion to outside in the community and has involved multiple people that took action and are actually doing things that are specifically helping the community and making a change. Anything you want to add to that, Jeff? No, I agree with Mike. I'm 100%. It, it, was, it was a group so many groups of people in our city and other cities will form their little little powwows and talk about it and feel better about themselves. This is a group that we have our powwows, but then we get out and get to work. Um, and I think the results are speak for themselves as far as the different programs we've got, the different initiatives we, we run or support that um, that really are working and helping uh, helping the, the sober home, the people who are seeking sobriety and the people who are seeking to properly treat the people seeking sobriety. So have you guys noticed the difference in Delray in terms of the treatment providers? I know there are are a lot of really solid ethical treatment providers in Delray, but they've been overshadowed by some of these bad actors. And do you you see that starting to flip? Do do you see? It it comes with education, and that's one of the things we're trying to do is inform our community, educate our community on what's really going on. Um, and, and yes, there are, but it's, it's like in the real world, you know, 8% of the people commit 92% of the crime and get all the attention for it. I don't know if those are exact numbers, but you understand the, the, yeah. the analogy. And it, it, 
what what leads in the news is is the bad, not the good. You, know, you really see the good news stories. There there are certainly more good than bad. I hope we're getting even better with with the the far rules and with what our initiatives and pushing people to be honest and be straight, or they're going to be investigated by law enforcement. Um, and and kind of take that tact in, in helping clean everything up. And I would add that there's definitely been a shift, and I've heard this verbally spoken to me from a couple of different providers. Uh, in our community that we feel like we are turning a corner for the better with regards to what's happening, to how just the city feels when you walk through it with, again, more and more the absence of people that are, that you're seeing hanging out at coffee shops or the suitcase or otherwise, like it definitely is making a shift and people feel that. And people also are feeling the pressure of what the Silver Home Task Force is doing and really highlighting and saying, you know, we have a problem we're doing something about it, and those that are responsible for being part of that problem have, have taken notice, and, and we continue to see a cleanup and a, just a different feel. So there's, a, there's some excitement for what's happening, even in, in lieu of, again, some of the bad press that uh, Jeff's speaking to that continues to happen, and we expect more arrests to come, but this is all building towards a better Del Rey and a better day in treatment um, in the future here. Jeff, you you said earlier in an earlier segment how the this the kind of the same folks that were running the pill mills and were um, the drivers behind a lot of the uh, opiate abuse went away, got out, and now are on the other end of the continuum. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because is that typical? Do you think in other areas? I, I don't well? know. It's typical, but I know that they, what you said, the driver. Well, the driver behind all that is the dollar bill. And and the opportunistic uh, nature of some of these of these criminals, and that's whether whether there's it's a criminal trying to get into a car to steal a, an iPhone, or it's a a guy who sees an opportunity to try and make make money by selling drugs illegally five or ten years ago, or it's a faking to you know putting on an act as if he's trying to help people get straight five or ten years later. The driver behind all of that is money, um, and and this is a big business right now. The the illegal operation of it. Um, and the the illegal insurance billing of it, and that that's really that's the gist of it. We are we are putting many of them in jail, and there's many more arrests coming. And there is a hope, and I think Mike can support us on that. There's a hope that the task force will be extended another year, and I think that's a, a real push that is being made to to keep keep this group together and keep it going for another year because they're they've got a head of steam right now, and they're they're putting. Their, there's no mistaking when somebody gets arrested. I don't think anybody's gone to trial yet, and there've been a lot of plea arrangements and plea deals made already. And this group's not even a year old; they're they're nine months old. And I think you, your key word, Jeff, was you know people are now looking at jail time. For a long time, uh, even patient brokering was a class three misdemeanor, which literally had very little bite to it with regards to wanting to push somebody away from again the amount of money that one could generate under these practices. And they've got two bills right now that hopefully will go through by June. And one of those is directly addressing and really changing the, the punishment that will be involved for individuals brokering clients, you know, be it under five, under 10, or under 20 clients, and significant jail time being attached to those and significant fines, which is, again, hopefully going to continue to be more of a deterrent from what it has been. You know, it's just mind-boggling um, how how much this all spirals from, you know, from whether it's 
getting your money from overprescribing medications or opiates or providing housing. I mean, these aren't drug cartels that are coming in from Mexico or Russia. I mean, these are people that are just criminals, right? I mean, these... You're exactly right. It is not at all a cartel. And it's, in, uh, you know, an individual come down, <laughs> and I can tell you this firsthand, an individual come down to seek treatment and see the money in it. And while they're in treatment, they're having their family members and and other friends buy houses and get this, their operations up and running while they're in their own treatment because they see the money in it. Right. Not everybody is definitely starting off even as a criminal, but, you know, the mixture of capitalism and healthcare has not been a great mixture as it relates to down here. And again, the lack of regulation, so allowing people to start a program that had no business starting a program or again, to collect fees for referrals when there was nobody um, that was willing to regulate that or punish it really just, led for the opportunity for people to make a a lot of money really quickly and to make some poor decisions as it relates to helping people that are looking, you know, to get help and get clean. And that was the part of the saddest thing we saw is we had a real large group of vulnerable people falling under a vulnerable population, including family members who desperately wanted to help their loved ones and were susceptible, and we had people that were preying on that vulnerability, and that was one of the hardest things, I think, for people who have been in it for the right reason for so long to really swallow and say, how how can you do this? How can you betray that trust uh, that people place in that position and take advantage in order to put a dollar in your pocket? And it was really sad. And on that note, we'll be right back after our last commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are you a pet parent? Are you interested in a better understanding of the care and health of your best friend? Listen every week for Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. Just as in your own personal health care, you can also take charge of the health care of your pet by exploring natural approaches to keep them healthy in addition to more conventional veterinary care. Don't you want them having the best life possible? Listen Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. 
You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour Time. Our guests today are Mike Hendren, who's the um, Executive Director for the Delray Beach Drug Task Force, and another member of the Delray Beach Drug Task Force, uh, Jeffrey Messer. And, you know, um, basically what we're talking about is how do you regulate an unregulated industry? And um, because without those regulations, um, it doesn't matter what the industry is, it spirals out of control. And that's certainly been the experience in Delray. But I, but I think the message here is the people of Delray are, are organizing and, and they're doing something to, to regulate and to combat what is, what they're experiencing in their community. And so I, Jeff and, and Mike, what advice do you have for other communities who may be already experiencing this or who are beginning to see what are the warning, the quote warning signs of kind of a, you know, bad regulated uh, sober home or treatment provider? What kinds of things should other communities look for? And then what should they do? What should they establish to prevent some of the things that you've experienced? I'll defer to Go Mike ahead, on Jeff. that one. Okay. I'll jump in. So, again, a lot of what the value was for the task force and what we saw that we really could make an impact was around education. And there's already been a huge need just in substance use alone and addiction and what people perceive as addiction, how it affects people, their families, what's the driving causes, and so forth, and then how to even get treatment. There's just a lot of uh, or lack of you know, general understanding. So. That was kind of where we could start in our own community was saying, you know, let's, you know, dispel some of the rumors. Let's really give correct press about what's happening. Let's give correct information about the industry and about what's happening with people that are suffering from addiction and and address it in that way. In, In the sense of the community, you know, it was always known and continues to be for those that have been around and for those that were new that were ethical providers, like, we have always known kind of who were not practicing best practices. People speak, you hear things. If you pay attention even to what's happening when you're doing histories of clients where they've been kind of being in and out of treatment, people show their cards. And that's some of what we were able to rely on, even as it relates to how we were going to operate as a group sitting around a table and who we would allow to sit at the table with us and to have these conversations. So there's always that undertone and you can rely on people to show their cards and when people listen, but, you know, from the community standpoint too, as these things were happening, again, there was a burden that was being placed upon the city itself with regards to, you know, supporting the people that were coming in for treatment, um, people that were coming in that ended up being part of the homeless population and so forth. And so those were signs that we started to see, obviously, you know, we're a little bit different that we've really seen a whole lot of that based upon, again, the community that we are and how many people were coming. But, 
being able to address those specifically and do it in a way that didn't involve necessarily let's arrest more people or uh, things that involve being violent in any way, but rather around education and understanding um, and collaborating really benefited us as a community. Have you adjusted any, um, like, city laws regarding, um, you know, I know we, we are... We get inspected by the city every year in terms of our residents for um, health and safety and um, other issues, and we have a police inspection every year too. Do you, do you all do that down there? Do you have? Gosh, uh, I don't know that we are we're allowed to do like police inspections on on these residences, um, and I don't know there's a, even a, a, an exact number an official exact number of, of uh, account of sober homes and who's who and where's where. We have we have um, a code enforcement officer who's in charge of rental properties. He's like our rental property manager yeah. for the city, you know, making sure that they're all up to snuff. And that's about as close as we get. And it's part of that's based on, on our understanding and our city attorney's understandings of the HIPAA laws and, and what we can and can't know about what's going on in, in some of these homes. So um, as far as inspections and, like, law enforcement inspections, that's impressive that New Hampshire has that? Well, no, well, wait, I misspoke. What we have is the, they come and do our alarms, so the, so the police come in and do the alarms, um, the alarm testing. There's a yeah, we're not, the we're not there department. with that yet. That's, a, that's an interesting, uh, interesting angle, yeah. I, but I, we're, we're not that far advanced as far as uh, being able to do that yet. You know, just to make sure the alarms are working and, and whatnot, so... Um, so, well, is there any other? Kind of fun. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I. There, like in New Hampshire, there's only so many people per residence, uh, based on um, zoning. Um, so many unrelated people per residence, based on zoning. And, we have that, but that's regulated through the code enforcement rental inspector. Yeah. So and there's only one of them. Just one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, what other part of, kind of? of the- just to say a large part of the issues, again, has been, you know, with sober homes and treatment centers and the likes and licensing and all of that has been for the state is catching up and being able to properly, you know, regulate and staff on the number of treatment licenses and sober home operators that are out there. Um, what suggestions would you have for other communities? So with regards to other communities, you know, we wish to impart and inspire the fact that, you know, change can happen from the ground up, that you don't necessarily have to wait for, you know, your local representatives, your city officials, um, the state or nationally for changes to necessarily take place in your community that help uh, for the better of everyone, that you have an opportunity, that you have a voice and that the idea around working and collaborating together when utilizing all the resources that are available in, in a community can be a very, very powerful thing. And I'd like to add to that, you know, embrace the recovery community. These are human beings. These are, these, are, these are people that need a chance that are in treatment because they're wanting that chance. Embrace them, help move them forward. We would do it for our own family members. Why would we not do it for someone else's family member? Um, it... it if played right and managed right, like we're seeing, that, like Mike said, we're really turned a huge corner in Delray, it could be a big boom for a city and, and a community as well as the people in recovery that know they're getting support from their community. Which is probably the most important message, right? 
um, these are people that want help and need help, and um, and they just need the right opportunity. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And you know, so many of our so many of our people in, in opiate based recovery right now are not drinkers. They're not smokers. They're not previous drug users. They're people that had a car crash, a surgery, an athletic uh, injury and got on the pain pills to, as, as part of their recovery and, and got hooked. A huge number of them are. And they're not what you would normally think a, an addict is. And, and these people need to get, you know, help them get healthy, help them get back to their lives, back to their families, back to their careers. Is Florida monitoring um, doctors prescribing of opiates? Is there any monitoring yes. going we have, on? We have a database. That was another thing. If you want to tell somebody, a community, what to do, pay attention and listen to what other, other areas, other cities have uh, and states have dealt with. We have a database in the state of Florida, prescription database, so there's no more doctor shopping. Um, can people still beat that? I'm sure they can, but it's certainly much more difficult. There's, no, there's a huge reduction in the number of the actual pill mills that are out there. Um, but what came with it was in the illegal heroin trade because you can't get the pills anymore. So be prepared for all that. Be ready for it. Do you take back meds too? In, in the, do the, like here the police, we can take meds and they'll dispose of them. Do they we actually do have that an amnesty well? box in the front lobby of the Darty Beach Police Department that the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office provides. I think they're in just about every police department in, uh, in yeah. Palm Beach County. There's an amnesty box. Just go drop it off. It gets emptied out on a regular basis and... It's a no questions asked um, type of situation. Policy, yeah. So if um, people listening want to uh, talk to either one of you or learn more, what's the best way to contact you? So you can find us on the web at uh, org. You can email me directly at dbdrugtaskforce at gmail.com. And Jeff gave you earlier the Silver Home Task Force Hotline, which allows people to, again, report uh, incidents that they feel are suspicious or need to be looked at. Thank you both so much for everything you're doing, and um, keep up the good work, and thank you for spending this hour with us. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Have a great week, everybody. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.